This presentation of the USA CBD Conference is brought to you by IndustryPods.com in conjunction with Immortal, a well-being beverage company, bringing you Immortal Nitro Super Coffee and now Immortal Super Immunity Shot with Hemp Extra. All is well at Immortal.com. That's I-M-M-O-R-D-L.com. All right. We got a crowd. Y'all are excited for this one. Except him. He's just here to eat. <laughs> uh, you guys ready to keep things going today or what? Uh, there's like, I'm going to let him work on the energy. I got a good feeling about this one. Uh, hitting the main stage next, his name is Tim Phillips. Tim is the managing director for CBD Intel. It's a business intelligence service providing professional independent market analysis and regulatory tracking for the growing CBD sectors in international markets. Ladies and gentlemen, Tim. Hello everyone, hope you can hear me all right. Um, lovely to be here, thank you very much for the introduction. And, um, as you can probably tell from my accent, I'm not from these parts. I'm from the UK. So um, I'm going to spend a bit of time on this session talking about the global opportunities. I will be talking about the US as well. Um, but just to give a bit of an introduction to us, uh, CBD Intel is, a, is an independent data company. It provides data for the uh, sector in general. As a company, we've been operating for um, just over six years now. We have 30 analysts on a full-time basis. But we don't just do CBD, and I, I guess that make, makes sense, doesn't it? So we've come from the vaping space. We have built a, um, a fairly big business in um, the vape data business, and we have a company called eSig Intelligence, which does the same thing as, as CBD Intel. Um, I mention that just because we are quite well regarded in the vape space, and we're starting to get, I think, well regarded for, for CBD data. So the FDA is a client in the US, um, the European Commission uses our data, the British government and various other regulators have used our data on the vaping side. Um, I only mention that because I think it, it's probably high time that regulators started to get some good data on the CBD side as well. And, uh, of course, as you all know, and, and looking around the room, this is a booming industry, um, but it's also a very, very fragmented industry. It's very difficult to track. It's quite opaque, and it's difficult for regulators to understand. And I think, you know, if we can do some, some way of, of helping to understand the sector for regulators, I think that might, might be a good thing. Okay, I'm going to talk, um, uh, I've got about half an hour, but I hope to leave some questions, um, a time for some questions at the end. I'm going to talk about uh, four main areas. So I'm going to talk about CBD just in the context of the cannabis sector. I think it's important just to take a step back sometimes and see where CBD fits into this wider category. You will all have heard about, um, I guess, the, the, the pain um, and, and tribulations that a lot of the big listed uh, cannabis companies have been going through recently. So I wanted to just talk about that and take a step back and, and differentiate CBD from general cannabis. Um, then I want to answer this question, is CBD a fad? Um, uh, if you look around the room, you would say, well, of course it's not a fad. Look how, you know, how busy this place is. And, um, but I think that a lot of people have been asking us about uh, this recently. It's not as buzzy as it was last year, right? But that's, uh, you know, I hope I'll, I'll come out with quite an optimistic message, which is there's, a, there's still a big core of, of consumers who use this on a very regular basis. And I'll, I'll tell you a bit about that. 
Another area which is very, very important and something that we do, we have you know, half our team are, are lawyers, they're tracking the regulations in this sector. And the reason why I want to talk about regulations is that it's going to have a huge impact on the way the markets develop, both here in the US but internationally as well. We've got a lot of regulatory change coming up, um, possibly this year, but certainly over the next few years. And, um, and that will really determine where the market goes. And it's very important for you guys to follow what's going on because it, it will determine what products you can offer to the market and what products are, are popular. And then, of course, just at the end, I want to talk a little bit about the future and where, where the market is going. Okay. Uh, oh, there are. Right, so as I said, um, let's talk about the cannabis sector as a whole and how CBD fits into it. So I've been saying this for a while. We, when we started CBD Intel, I think a lot of the businesses that were already doing uh, cannabis data and general kind of recreational and medical cannabis data thought that we were very much a sideshow. You know, we were a small subset of the cannabis sector as a whole. Um, I think that's really changed in the, in the last year and a bit. And I think CBD is very, very core now to uh, the, the, the future um, of many cannabis companies in the sector. Um, but it's very different. And I think it's important to, to kind of think about this. It, it, I've got a, you know, some areas here where I think CBD differs from THC containing cannabis products, so either medical or recreational. Um, and I think it's important just to, to point these things out. So, CBD, as we all know, is, is a sort of grassroots movement. People have been taking CBD because they've been told by friends, family, maybe they've seen on social media and so on that it's the right thing that might help them and people have then um, used the product. It's very different in a way to the, to the recreational and medical uh, cannabis markets. And, um, and, and there's, a, there's definitely a, a very big distinction. I think we're starting to see the two sides of the market diverge quite a lot. We're, you know, if you're in the, in the sort of recreational medical cannabis world, you're really going down a very different track these days than you were maybe a couple of years ago when they were all mixed together. And I think CBD um, is, is, you know, actually is, is plowing its own furrow, if you like. Um, there are lots of other things that um, make it different, right? So the regulation is very different for CBD. In fact, it's much more interpretive. We're operating in a gray legal area in most markets, both here in the US, but also internationally. Um, whereas medical and recreational have very, very strict regulation already in place. You know, you either have a license or you don't have a license. And I think the, the development of this over time is gonna be um, really important. It, CBD is very fast moving. It's dominated by lots of very small companies that are very um, innovative, that are moving fast. They can change uh, direction fast, which is really important. And I think in, a, in an environment where the regulations are moving fast, then small companies have a real advantage over the massive uh, cannabis companies, simply because they can move much faster and they are willing to take risks that big companies might not be able to. So I, I think it's just important to think about that and, and make sure we understand how the, how the CBD sector fits into that context. Um, as I've been saying for a while, and again, you know, uh, it's, it's, I would say this, wouldn't I, because we're, we're CBD intelligence, we're not doing cannabis in general, but I think CBD is the biggest opportunity for the cannabis sector as a whole over the next few years, simply because it's the only product that is viable internationally at the moment. And I think, 
looking at it from a US perspective, I think lots of people don't see this uh, necessarily as clearly as we do from outside the US. But, but the, the idea of these recreational cannabis markets is a very North American phenomenon. It is not happening elsewhere. And, and I'm, you know, I'm here to tell you that you know, we are not about to see lots of recreational cannabis markets opening up in, in certainly in Europe and definitely not in Asia. So the, the only option for, for cannabis in many of these international markets is CBD and that's why it's a really important thing to, to be looking at. Um, there's, a, there's a, an area of acceptability around CBD which the, which the THC markets don't have and again that's maybe slightly different in North America to, to what the situation is in the, in the European Union for example. Um, CBD is much much more accepted. Uh, and, you know, anecdotally, for example, my mother is, you know, when I told her I was working in CBD, she was like, oh, yeah, lots of my friends use that. That's not the same as if I said, oh, I'm in marijuana. I think, you know, she would have a very different reaction to that. And I think, I know that's an anecdotal story, but I think that is true. That's how um, a, a lot of the public see, see this sector. We're starting to see CBD go into a lot of different health and wellness products. Um, and that is continuing to happen. So we're seeing a lot of in innovation in terms of beverages, foods, those kinds of products. Um, so um, there's, there's huge opportunities if that does start to go mainstream. The big block, and we'll talk about some of these things in a minute, the big block on all of that is the regulatory barriers that are being put in place. So, um, you know, in the US, similar to, to Europe, we've got a big problem with CBD going to food products. Um, similarly, things like vape and cosmetics, there, there are regulatory issues that we need to deal with. But look, on the optimistic side, I think for CBD, um, the, the barriers to entry are quite low. The, mass, you know, the massive capital investment that you need to put into a, uh, a program to develop a, uh, a pharmaceutical cannabis product doesn't exist in CBD. The barriers are quite low for CBD, which means it's a great advantage for, for small companies. Um, and we've got lots of change happening. And, and you know, as, a, uh, as I said previously, that you know, an unstable regulatory environment is, a, is an environment that is absolutely perfect for small business. That's where small businesses can, can occupy and get a, a, a real um, foothold into the market. Okay, so now I'm going to talk a bit about some data that we, um, uh, we've pulled from international markets. And I just wanted to really, all of this data actually is, is to try to uh, evaluate whether or not CBD is a fad. And I think it's an important question to ask ourselves is, you know, is this just a passing fad? We've seen an awful lot of things talked about CBD as being the future. We, you know, I can't tell you how many times I read uh, market size estimates for 2028 um, for this sector. And, um, and I think a lot of it is, is um, you know, is overblown. But what's actually the core of the CBD market? And is CBD a fad or not? Well, here are some slides to show that I don't think it is a fad. Here is... Um, First of all, awareness of CBD. So, you know, two or three years ago, if you did this kind of a survey around the world and you asked people, what is, do you know what CBD is? Most people would not know. Um, as you can see now, and particularly uh, that's very apparent in, in the big markets, uh, US and the UK, um, but awareness of CBD, what it is, is very high. And, um, uh, but I guess the, you know, the other thing to point out here is that the differences are, are quite big between the different markets. That's you know, a good thing and a bad thing. Uh, the good thing is there's massive opportunity. Look at Japan, right? The, the, the awareness of the product in Japan is incredibly low. Uh, and so the growth rate in Japan is, is very exciting. Um, but again, you're fighting against the fact that people don't even know what the product is. So that's, it's got some way to go. Um, 
Okay, next slide. Um, usage by age. I think something that we've noticed uh, rather different to the nicotine vape markets that we've previously studied, as I said before, um, the, 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 the audience, the customer base for CBD is extremely wide-ranging. So just as an example of that, just in, uh, looking at age profiles, we've got um, on the left the percentage of um, respondents in surveys that we've carried out uh, between the ages of 18 to 44 and 45 plus on the right. And, um, and you can see for, for quite a lot of these uh, big markets, US, UK included, the, um, the split is pre-50-50. Um, now France and Japan are a bit different. France is a very heavily vape CBD market, so that tends to be a lower age demographic. And Japan, as I said before, is very new, so that tends to uh, reduce the age range of the, uh, of the, of the users. But, um, but as you can see, I think this is, you know, this, this would suggest, again, that it's not a fad in the sense that it's being used by a huge range of different types of, of consumers. Okay, um, next slide. The uh, length of use. Right, so again, a faddy industry would suggest that there are an awful lot of people who have, um, you know, have only just come into the, ca into the category. And I think um, when we look at just a simple split here, which is... Um, uh, users that have used for less than one year on the left, the dark green, and, and more than one year on the right. And we're starting to see some substantial numbers in the, in the range of, of consumers that have been using this product for more than a year. And by, and by uh, users here, we're talking about users that use at least on a weekly basis. Um, so I think that's pretty encouraging, and again, would suggest that, uh, that the sector's going quite well. Okay, reasons for use. Again, another thing that I think points to the fact that this is not a fad. This is not a faddy set of reasons why people are using um, CBD. So, um, again, these are from surveys that we've carried out in all of these, in all of these uh, countries. So I've just pulled out the UK, Germany, and France. We've done uh, waves of surveys in these markets um, between, well, 2,000 people in Germany and 1,000 uh, in France. So, um, but look, what, what's really interesting, I think, is that the, the key areas, the key reasons for use are really quite serious pseudo-medical reasons. So we've got relief pain, we've got help reduce stress um, and uh, anxiety there. Those are, you know, those are pretty substantial reasons for, for using it. They're not faddy reasons for, for using the product. Okay, a final point here, and again, part of our survey um, waves that we carried out, but um, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not sure this is so convincing because the question is rather a leading question, but uh, we asked all these respondents, is CBD better than a traditional medi medicine? And, um, and as you can see, the answers are very strongly positive on this. Uh, again, you know, really, really showing to me that this is not something that people are, uh, like, can drop at any moment. People are very, very keen on these, and, and, and we're certainly seeing that regular users are, um, are very positive about their use of CBD. I've completely lost the ability to move it on now. Oh, there we are. Right. Okay, so that's all fine. That sounds like the, the sector's um, not faddy. But I think there is something to recognize about CBD, uh, and that is the fact that we've got a lot of people coming into the category and dropping out. And so I think it is fair to say that there's an element of, uh, of CBD users that has been quite faddy. What we're starting to see is that CBD users tend to fall into two camps. There are those that have tried it for um, potentially, quite often, health and wellness reasons, but those tend to be the ones that churn off. 
Uh, and then we've got the pseudo-medical reasons, like the slides, a couple of, couple of slides back that I showed, where the reasons are much more kind of fundamental to, to their well-being. Um, here we did some work on just trying to figure out, so what is the rate of churn? How many people are falling out of the category on a regular basis? So um, this, is not a, this is not an absolute test of churn, because we're looking at a snapshot of uh, one point in time, how many people um, are daily users or weekly users right now, and how many of those people we survey were in that category. Um, but I think it's important to, you know, to, to point out, as we say here, that for, for every 1,000 people in the UK that are regular users, there are 500 that have dropped out. Um, and if we look at, uh, on, a, um, uh, on the basis of a number of different countries, you can see um, that there are differing ranges of, um, of dropout rates. So um, certainly Switzerland and Germany on the left here, um, the, you know, the, the red bar, which is how many um, users have fallen out of the category, is, is really quite big. So we're, we're seeing big turnover of CBD users. Um, I think I put all of this up just to, to put a word of warning around looking at some of the survey results where people are saying, oh yeah, look, there's a 15% incidence rate of, of you know, US adults using CBD. I think you need to be really, really careful with those numbers. A lot of those numbers are suggesting that you know, a, a bunch of those people are, are potentially people who've just tried it once and they're not going to come back. And, I, and that's really important to, to recognize. Okay. Um, Final point on, on just uh, on, on the sort of the sector and where we are. Um, I mentioned this earlier. This is a sector where everyone knows that it's a very, very fragmented sector. There are huge numbers of brands. You just have to look around the room to see how many brands there are. And, and frankly, I come to quite a lot of industry events, and at every single event, there's some new brands that I've never heard of from, you know, before, and, and they're new to me. Um, I think this is just uh, held out by the data here. So um, particularly in the US, uh, quite extraordinary. We've got more than 2,500 brands online uh, and nearly 1,000 brands offline. And those, you know, we, we cast our net very wide in terms of tracking brands, but we probably haven't got all of them. So that's a huge number. Um, and you can see, you know, that differs obviously in the markets. Um, US and the UK are the best developed markets, so no surprise they have the, the most products. But, um, but even in some of these other markets that we track, you can see a lot of brands in the market. So this is a sector that is ripe for consolidation. That won't exist uh, in a few years. There's no way that the market can retain this many brands. Um, and, I, and I think that's another thing to recognize. Oops, sorry, going back. Right, quick thing about regulation, um, and uh, yeah, I don't have all that much time, so I'm not gonna get into too much detail, but um, regulation is hugely important for this sector. That's kind of partly why we've been set up, is to track the regulations, because we can see that it has a huge impact on uh, the way that markets develop around the world. So internationally, markets, you, you know, you need to understand how, how the regulations work in each market to understand what products are gonna work and what products are not gonna work, and it's hugely important. Um, these are just some things that happened in the course of the last 12 to 15 months. Um, so we had the US vape crisis. It was a huge, huge issue. Um, and it's been called Evali or whatever, but it was the, it was the deaths from, uh, from vaping products. It turned out to be illicit cannabis products, cannabis cartomizers. Um, but uh, it's having a huge impact both on the uh, vape side of the cannabis market, but also on the, uh, uh, on the nicotine vaping markets. 
Um, we've got food issues. We've got food issues in the, in the US with the FDA saying that CBD cannot be put into foods. Similarly, in the, uh, in the European Union, we have this concept of novel food, a, a food product um, that wasn't in existence pre-1997 needs to get a novel food approval. And, um, and funnily enough, just today, in fact, we've had a big news in the UK where the, the Food Standards Agency, which regulates food in the UK, has announced that there's a, a timetable for companies to comply with the novel food application. So they are expecting novel food applications from manufacturers and brands in the UK by, by March next year. Um, so that's, you know, that's very recent news, but it's a good example of something that is changing very fast and you guys need to understand if you want to go into the UK market, which is very strong and, and you, know, you should be thinking about it, um, this is something to be thinking about. Okay, medical claims enforcement. So we've had a lot of medical claims and even walking around here today, I mean, I've been seeing quite a lot of um, marketing of brands, which frankly are very close to the edge. And you're gonna, you're gonna run into a lot of problems if you start saying that your product helps with certain medical problems. Um, you, the FDA have been sending out quite a few uh, uh, kind of warning letters to brands and that will continue. For sure, the FDA is, is starting to get a bit more concerned about this and they want to try and bring the market into some kind of order. So we can see this continuing. Um, flower sales, uh, we've seen quite a lot of hemp flower sales uh, going on in the US. There are few markets in Europe, like Switzerland, where it's allowed, and in fact it's taxed as a tobacco product, but in most markets it's not allowed. And I think that is a, an ongoing piece of regulatory development. Um, few other things, I think um, I won't tell you about the Farm Bill, you guys know probably more than I do about that. Um, but there's been a, a lot more developments going on over the last few months than we've seen previously, and I think that, that rate of change is gonna continue. Um, again, can we show that that's important? You know, many of you will be thinking, well, I, I don't, you know, does it really matter what the novel food regulations are in the UK? Well, it does matter, and here's why. Because we've done some work um, tracking the top brands in each of these markets, and we split them up according to the types of products that they are. Um, now, I don't know if you guys can see that terribly clearly, but the, the different colors refer to the different types of products, and it's just, um, it's just a split percentage-wise in each of the markets. So I just wanted to pull out a few examples just to show what the effective regulations are. In Switzerland, you can see rather strangely, although oils in, a, in each case are, are the dominant category, in Switzerland, we see on the far right there, that rather lighter green is uh, the percentage of uh, CBD flour in the market. Switzerland, as I said, allows the sale of uh, flour. So it's very much higher than, uh, well, pretty much any of the other markets other than Italy where there was some regulatory uncertainty. That's, by the way, changed. Italy, uh, you're no longer allowed to sell flour in the Italian market. So that's gonna change uh, pretty soon, I think. A few other things just to pull out. So I said that um, the French market was very strong in terms of vape, and you can see that come through um, in, the, in the numbers uh, for France. Part of the reason for that is that the French are very much stronger on enforcing against uh, CBD going to food products, so oil, um, and, and, and products containing kind of edible CBD uh, are much more restricted. Um, look, and then I think just an interesting comparison between the UK and the US is just looking at pet food. Pet food here in the US is really quite strong um, in terms of, uh, uh, of where it sits against the other products. In the UK, non-existent because it's not allowed and, uh, and there's no way that that's gonna change in the near future. So, you know, if you thought your strategy was to go into the UK market with pet food, think again. Um, but anyway, I think the, the takeaway from this slide is just to say, look, 
it's really important to understand what the regulatory landscape is because that is the, that's the determining factor really about uh, the, the way that products develop there. Okay, um, what's we got coming in 2020? We've, I've already mentioned about novel food. We're gonna have um, a uh, development, I think, in the US on how novel food is looked at, so how, how is CBD put into food? We've got a, a major conflict uh, in both the US and in Europe at the moment because um, we have CBD that has been approved as a medical product, and that's gonna clearly come into some kind of conflict with uh, all the companies in this room which are selling CBD as a, as a consumer product. So I think that kind of debate is gonna continue to develop. Um, vape is, uh, as you all know, a difficult category right now, but it's coming back into, uh, into popularity. We're going to see, though, some more vape regulation uh, fairly soon, and certainly we think that vape CBD will be included in uh, the next generation of the tobacco products directive in, in Europe, so it will be a, a regulated product fairly quickly. Um, I'm not going to deal with many of the other things. I think um, that, you know, I, I've talked about regulation in general. A few other kind of things to think about in this sector. One is wholesale. Um, and many of you will know very clearly what's been going on in the wholesale market for CBD, but just to give you a, a sort of example, when we started CBD Intel, CBD Isolate was valued on the wholesale market at around seven, seven and a half thousand dollars a kilo. It's now around a thousand, uh, according to our sources. Um, that is a tremendous drop, and I think that is going to continue. We've, we've been talking to a few um, of the Chinese hemp associations. They're looking to get into this market, clearly. Um, when they start coming online, we're going to see a big oversupply in, in, uh, in CBD, I think. Um, Final point on um, what do we see as a, a sort of opportunity for, for this year, I think it's these niche seg segments that we're starting to see. So um, sports is a very interesting one that's really developing fast. Um, clearly kind of beauty and cosmetics is, is, um, is very interesting and the, and the, and the sort of core of the, the sector as a whole is this kind of medical or pseudo-medical use that, um, that is very much dominated by the oil products. So. Um, I'm just going to finish with uh, a few more slides on kind of numbers and just, again, to try and point out, I think, the opportunities that um, you guys as U.S. companies, U.S. brands have internationally. Um, so here is a, uh, a chart, well, two charts. The chart at the top is looking at the number of different national brands in each market listed across there. So very interestingly, the U.S. has hardly any brands from outside of the US. And no surprise, but as, as you can see at the bottom uh, section there, so 98% of the products sold here are uh, domestic brands. Um, that's, you know, that's pretty clear because there's so much domestic competition and there's so many brands here, so no surprise. But just look at the opportunity that might exist elsewhere. So, um, you know, at, at the other extreme, we've got Greece there, where only 5% of their market is domestic produ produced uh, products. But, you know, Greece is a market that's growing very fast, and there's 95% opportunity there of getting brands in there from, from elsewhere. So I think there's, there's huge opportunity and, and clearly you know, what we're starting to see is that there, there are big differences between the different markets. Okay, final couple of slides and then I, I can do some questions. So um, these are 
perhaps a bit more detailed uh, characteristics of the breakdown of products in each market. And I think what surprised us was that the markets have these kind of rather different characteristics. So we looked um, at a couple of products here, just on the slides here. So one is oil. This slide is on oils. Um, what we did was split the markets we look at. So we looked at EU countries. Um, some of you may know that the UK has recently dropped out of the EU. The EU so we haven't included the UK in that. Um, so, the, uh, in fact, those are the, the countries we have included are uh, um, uh, Austria, France, Germany, Greece, Italy, Netherlands. Then we've looked at Switzerland as a separate market just because it's, it is rather a separate market, um, not a member of the EU. Uh, it's got its own kind of quite progressive rules on CBD, so it, we do see it as a separate market. And then we've looked at the two big markets in the world, so the UK and the US. Um, what we're seeing in terms of characteristics at the top, um, these are the, the size of the, the form factor, so the size of the bottles that are sold, of oils. Um, and as you can see, the, the difference between, let's say, um, the European markets and Switzerland with the US is very striking. You know, 30 mil is a big uh, form factor here, but it's not such a big form factor in, uh, in Europe. And then um, in terms of content of CBD in the bottom there, again, you can see some big differences between some of these markets where um, you know, some, some of the markets are much bigger on stronger, um, stronger amounts of, of CBD. Okay, final slide, just to look at topicals. I think we just thought this would be an interesting one to look at as well. Again, I think the message here is just very, you know, very different characteristics. So um, we're seeing uh, clearly the, the big dominant um, form factor is the 50 mil uh, topical products in the EU countries. That's very different in the US. You know, we're seeing much bigger 60 mils and, and some other sizes. Um, and I think the final point on this is uh, in, the, in the bottom chart there, um, what's rather interesting is that the US is very good at telling customers what content of CBD is in their skin cream. The European markets are really not at all, so perhaps that's, a, that's an opportunity as well. That's the end of, uh, of my presentation. So um, I hope that's interesting. It's a bit of data. Um, of course, we've got lots more of that. And if you, know, if you guys have got any questions of, of uh, you know, like what markets go into, what is the structure of the markets, then you know, please do come and talk to us. I hope we can help in some way. Um, and then if there are any questions, then I think we can, um, yeah, one minute. Oh, one question. Okay, so there's, there's a microphone in the back. If anyone does have a question, then now is the time to ask. Otherwise, come and, come and ask me afterwards. Any questions? No. Great. Oh, there is one. There's one here. Just hold, can you just um, wait for the microphone? Just, yeah. Sure. For uh, those people that see CBD as a fad, what data do they have to say it's a fad? I'm just curious, because it seems like you made a pretty good case why it's not a fad. Well, well I think that the, yeah, I mean, the answer to that, I think, is just the, um, the idea, it, it, it's, a, it's a general thing, right? One is all these cannabis companies' stock prices have plummeted. So we've seen that as a, a, as a big factor. Um, I think a lot of, um, I think a lot of retailers are anecdotally seeing that there's been a drop-off in interest. Um, so I think that that's another thing that's, that's coming through. But also, you know, I think there is some data to show that there's quite big churn rates in this sector, as, as I was talking about. But, but I think, you know, my point is that despite the fact that there is some, some um, faddishness around the sector, there's also a real hardcore of, of um, proper market there, which, is, which has continues to grow. Yeah. 
Good. I think we've come to the end. If anyone would like me to send them the slides, then come and give me a card afterwards, and I'd be very happy to do that. And, um, and come and talk to me about any questions afterwards as well. Thank you. This podcast was produced and presented by Industry Pods in conjunction with the USA CBD Conference in cooperation with Immortal, a well-being company. Any unauthorized use is strictly prohibited. Any and all trademarks are the property of their respective owners. The world's best-known investor and Wall Street expert Warren Buffett once said, Wall Street is the only place that people ride to in a Rolls Royce to get advice from those who take the subway. Mr. Buffett's quote is remarkably accurate, but how many people would rather receive advice from him than someone simply guessing? Welcome to Buy, Hold, Sell, your single source for Wall Street knowledge and profitable guidance. Please join me, Todd Schoenberger, and fellow trader Tobin Smith, as well as host Veronica Dudo, for a podcast known to move the needle for investors. Tobin and I are seasoned Wall Street executives with deep investment experience, and we are prepared to share our advice to those who choose to listen. Download Buy, Hold, Sell today on the Evergreen Podcast Network or your favorite podcast channel.